Chapter 1 November 1967 Kuntum Province, South Vietnam, near Dak Tu Like thunder and lightning all rolled into one, the mortar rounds crashed down on the American paratroopers, turning the unsettled night into an opaque slaughterhouse. The soldiers, the men of Bravo Company, 4th Battalion, had nowhere to go but down into shallow and inadequate fighting holes they'd barely begun to dig, for the bamboo forest provided little in the way of cover. Its spindly trees would shatter when shells burst in their crowns, adding countless knife-like projectiles to the merciless steel fragments of the bursting rounds. The cries of wounded men throughout the company's perimeter pierced those moments of anxious silence between the explosions of impact. For the artillery forward observer attached to Bravo Company, 2nd Lieutenant Jeff Miles, the loudest cries of pain were coming from a man crouched right next to him, his radioman, Spec 4 Nick Sanchez. A long, slender spear of bamboo had impaled itself in the right side of his lower back. Most of that spear was sticking out like a spiny appendage, making him resemble some sci-fi creature or a human hors d'oeuvre on a mammoth toothpick. Sanchez was trying to pull it out but lacked the leverage. Each futile tug just made the pain worse. He begged Miles, Get this son of a bitch out of me, Lieutenant. His RTO wasn't the only man demanding Miles' attention. Captain Jerry Duncan, Bravo Company's commander, was ten yards away, maybe fifteen, a shadowy silhouette standing among several others. He bellowed from the darkness, F.O., I want a fire mission two clicks off our left flank immediately, if not sooner. Lay it down and then walk it toward us until I say stop. Roger that, sir. But one problem. Matteo's down, Miles replied. And he's the medic, right? I mean now, Lieutenant. In a minute or so, we won't be needing medics. Just body bags. Get those rounds coming, damn it. Sanchez had sunk to his hands and knees. Jeff told him, Give me the mic and get on your belly, mate. Once his RTO was prone, the FO began the call for fire to the supporting artillery battery at Ben Het, the airborne infantry's base camp some three miles north. While transmitting, he placed his knee firmly against Sanchez's backside, grasped the bamboo spear with his free hand, and yanked it out. Jeff wasn't sure whether the scream that resulted was one of pain, surprise, or both. He pulled the field dressing from its pouch on his shoulder harness and pressed the thick bandage against Sanchez's wound, telling him, Hold this in place until the doc gets you. You can do that, right? He took the RTO's groan as a yes. Good. Now stay down and lie still while I call the mission. Miles laid the map on the radio and propped his red lens flashlight against it, using that set strap to the RTO's back like a small table. With his sleeve, he wiped the mat's acetate covering clean of his own handprint. It was inked in Sanchez's blood, which glistened crimson in the dim red light. But as he continued the fire mission request, he faltered. Two clicks, a click being army speak for a kilometer, equaled one and a quarter miles. When plotted on the map, the point Captain Duncan wanted to bombard could very well be occupied by one of Bravo's sister companies, instead of troops of the NVA, the North Vietnamese Army. But he couldn't be certain. Hold one, Jeff told the battery's fire direction center. Then he yelled out for the company commander. Duncan's voice roared back out of the gloom, asking, I don't hear those cannons firing, F.O. What's the damn holdup? I think we got a problem, sir. That target daddy you called... We reckon there's a bloody good chance that's where Alpha Company is. The captain's angry reply. Negative, Lieutenant. Negative. I don't need some green artillery type reckoning where our bloody units are. 
Alpha's not that far south. They can't be. Not possible. So give me that fire on the double, Lieutenant, or you're going to be in a world of hurt. Somewhere between Miles and Captain Duncan, a mortar round plowed the ground, the simultaneous crump and whistle of the explosion and hurtling shell fragments melding into one brief and terrifying snarl. The blast knocked Jif flat. When his head cleared a few moments later, he couldn't see the captain's silhouette anymore through the curtain of smoke and dust. But he certainly heard the captain screaming to his first sergeant. His words sounded like the howls of a wounded animal. We think Duncan may bloody well be wrong, Jif told himself. Well, I'm not sure. We're getting killed here, and he gave me a direct order. He got back on the radio and called in the fire mission, barely recognizing the sound of his own voice, now pitched high with fear. The mortar bombardment lasted just a few agonizing minutes. Bravo Company suffered one killed and twelve wounded among her 120 men. All of the company's more serious casualties were extracted by helicopters in a risky but flawlessly executed night dust-off mission and flown to the field hospital attached to the 173rd Airborne Brigade at Ben Het. Most would be returned to duty within a day or two. The rest, including Sanchez and Captain Duncan, would be fit within a week. Among the lightly wounded was Jeff Miles, who hadn't realized he'd suffered a grazing wound to his leg until the adrenaline of the mortar and artillery exchange had worn off. At first, he thought the blood on his trousers belonged to Sanchez, but then he felt the sting of an open wound. Treated by the company medic, he needed neither medevac nor hospitalization. Alpha Company, which had been on the receiving end of the artillery barrage Captain Duncan ordered, was not so lucky. Jeff Miles had never been summoned to a brigade debriefing before. He'd been on active duty four months and in Vietnam only one. Two weeks of that time had been spent doing in-country familiarization, delivered by officers and sergeants on voluntary second tours. They took great delight in detailing all the ways you were going to die in this strange land called the Nam unless you pulled your head out of your ass and kept it out. The action of two nights ago, near Deck 2, was only his second tactical operation. His first had been a helicopter ride as an aerial observer, where his job was to adjust the fire on artillery registration points near the border with Cambodia. It had been more of an administrative exercise than a tactical one. The aircraft had received no enemy fire. He'd only drawn that duty because the artillery battalion's only other F.O. lieutenant, who had several months' experience in the field, was on sick call with a bad case of the shits, as his C.O. had put it. Its side flaps rolled down so no one could see inside. The canvas tent where the debrief was being held had the somber feel of a courtroom draped in olive drab canvas. In lieu of the blocked-out daylight, the harsh glare of bare bulbs strung along the ridgepole provided the dingy illumination. As Jeff entered, Captain Duncan was on the way out, looking rattled and moving gingerly due to his assortment of minor wounds. Those injuries had turned out to be far less serious than they'd seen that night in the bamboo forest. He hadn't yet returned to his company because he was still under watch for possible infection. Duncan didn't even glance at his F.O. until they were practically side by side. When they did make brief eye contact, the company commander was shooting daggers Jif's way. It didn't take long to realize what had put Duncan on edge. Lieutenant Miles was informed that this debrief was actually a preliminary inquest, regarding a friendly fire incident which may have been responsible for the deaths of five American paratroopers of Alpha Company, 4th Battalion, 503rd Infantry, 173rd Airborne Brigade. 
one of the KIA, was the lieutenant leading its second platoon. Under Article 32 of the UCMJ, Uniform Code of Military Justice, an investigating officer had been appointed to determine whether it was likely that deaths by friendly fire were caused by an act of negligence, incompetence, inattention to duty, or malice worthy of a court-martial. A bird colonel named Woodson, seated at the center of a long table and flanked by four other officers, told Miles why he was there. It is possible that the artillery fire that caused the deaths of Alpha Company personnel was the result of a fire mission you requested, Lieutenant. In fact, a few details strongly suggested. That makes you a person of extreme interest in these proceedings. Do you understand what I'm telling you so far? Yes, so I do. Jeff's accent had a startling effect on the officers of the board. None of them had ever heard him speak until now. The colonel asked, Are you English, Miles? No, sir. Well, I'm American, with an Australian accent. How the hell do you explain that, Lieutenant? Well, I was born in Australia, sir, to an Australian mother and an American father. My time growing up was split between Queensland and the U.S. All right, but obviously you're an American citizen if you're a commissioned officer. Yes, sir. I had to renounce my Australian citizenship to receive my commission. Colonel Woodson seemed puzzled for a moment. Then, as if taken by revelation, he asked, By any chance, you wouldn't be the son of General Jock Miles, would you? I am, sir. The colonel seemed delighted, saying, How about that? I worked for your father at Benning in the 50s, the infantry school. You must have been, what, about 10 years old then? That's about right, sir. How's the general doing? Just fine, sir. Still with the State Department. Southeast Asia desk. And the Australian part of you? I remember your mother very well. Jacqueline, I believe her name was. No, sir. Her name's Jillian. Well, she's she's a real Aussie firecracker, let me tell you. Jeff just nodded and smiled, thinking, You're telling me? You don't know the half of it. But he wouldn't have been smiling if he'd known this. Though Woodson settled for firecracker, what he'd wanted to call her was a rabble-rousing, pain-in-the-ass bitch. Realizing he was letting the atmosphere turn too friendly and informal for the purposes of an inquest, the colonel put a stern look back on his face. He pointed to an officer at the end of the table and continued, Let me introduce Major Bart Crutchfield from MACV. Since General Westmoreland wants to get to the bottom of this ASAP, the major will be conducting the preliminary investigation. Do you have any questions before we continue, Lieutenant Miles? Just one, sir. I'm always to be confined to quarters for the duration of the investigation. An amused smile crossed Woodson's face as he thought, hmm, these service brats, especially general officers' brats, learn the drill long before they ever put on a uniform. They're wired even tighter than those pups fresh out of West Point. All this military justice hoopla is not going to scare him very easily. No, Lieutenant. You will not be confined, the colonel replied. The current proceedings are investigatory in nature only. You will remain in your duty assignment until advised differently. Then he turned to Crutchfield and said, Major, the floor is yours. Crutchfield stood and moved to a map board set up alongside the table. Speaking in the mechanical drone of Middle America, so typical of military oration, he read from a stack of index cards the date, time, units involved, and locale of the incident in question. After confirming that Lieutenant Miles was, in fact, the F.O. assigned to Bravo Company at that date and time, he asked, 
And your call sign on the operation in question was Flipside 24? Affirmative, sir. That's my call sign. Very well, Lieutenant. How many fire missions did you call in that operation? Just one, sir. And did you initiate that request for fire on your own? Negative, sir. It was initiated by an order from Captain Duncan, the Bravo Company commander. Gretchfield asked, do you recall the captain's specific instructions? Jeff related what the company commander had asked for when he stated two clicks, the distance from Bravo Company to the target Duncan was designating. Every officer at the table raised his eyebrows and feverishly jotted something on his notepad. He went on to say that the fire mission was executed exactly as requested, with successive volleys shifting closer to Bravo Company's perimeter. But with the captain wounded and unable to tell him when to stop shifting the fire, he'd taken it upon himself, in the interest of safety, to bring the rounds no closer than 500 meters to the left or eastern side of Bravo's perimeter. His tone taking an accusatory edge, Crutchfield asked, How could you be sure exactly where on the ground Bravo's perimeter was, Lieutenant Miles? It was dark, was it not? And as you stated, the company had only been in position less than a half hour. Well, it was with Captain Duncan as we walked that perimeter not five miles before we started taking mortar fire, sir. So I had a very good idea where it was. Jacking up the accusing tone a little more, Gretchfield asked, And by Mike's, I can assume you mean minutes, Lieutenant. When Jeff nodded, he continued, And were you in radio contact with Alpha Company on your left flank? Me, personally, sir? Jeff asked. Yes, Lieutenant, you, personally. That's not my job, sir. Well, communicate with the dedicated artillery support. Not, I'm well aware what your job is, Lieutenant. But apparently, it appears that nobody thought to confirm. Colonel Woodson cut Crutchfield off. Where are you going with this, Major? We all know what an FO's job is, including young Miles here. And monitoring the infantry battalion command net isn't in that job description. But let me ask a question here. Lieutenant Miles, are you aware what 4th Battalion's mission was on the night in question? Yes, sir, Jeff replied. Well, it was well aware. The battalion was to set up blocking positions along the expected NVA escape routes to Cambodia in the Dak Valley. And do you know why, Lieutenant? Yes, we do, sir. According to Captain Duncan's pre-op briefing, everybody from General Westmullen on down knows the NVA is trying to flee west to Cambodia but we can't get at them. We were to engage them while they were in retreat before they could reach the border and destroy them. That's exactly right, the colonel said. Captain Duncan must have done a damn good job explaining that mission to his men. During that night, Lieutenant, to the best of your recollection, did Bravo Company come in contact with actual NVA troops? Negative, sir. In fact, there's been no contact in the two days since either. This kid's cool as a cucumber. Woodson thought. About what I'd expect from one of Jack Miles' offspring. I just wonder if his story will hold water once all is said and done. The colonel turned the questioning back to Major Crutchfield, who asked, How far is a click, Lieutenant Miles? He thrust that elementary question like a bayonet, intent on puncturing Jeff's composure and taunting him into a defensive, perhaps disrespectful, response but he was disappointed. The lieutenant's reply was even and confident as everything else he'd said since entering the tent. A click is one kilometer, sir, roughly two-thirds of a mile. I have just a few further questions, Gratfield said. First, on whose authority was the fire mission terminated? You didn't take that upon yourself, too, did you? 
The major sounded triumphant, but nobody could understand why. This green second lieutenant had handled his hostile inquiries without so much as breaking a sweat. Negative, sir, Jeff replied. The XO Bravo Company, Lieutenant Stanley, told me to turn it off once the motor rounds stopped coming in. He'd assumed command after Captain Duncan was wounded. Final question, Lieutenant Miles. Whose voice actually transmitted the fire mission and subsequent corrections to the firing battery? Mine, sir. Matteo was among the first casualties, so I had no other option. And for the record, there were no subsequent corrections to the fire mission. All instructions how to walk the fire toward Bravo Company's perimeter were included in the original request. All I had to do once it was in progress was to stop it. It wasn't complicated. I beg your pardon, Lieutenant, Gretchfield thundered. But it was certainly complicated enough to kill American boys. At ease, Major, Woodson interrupted. This is an inquiry, not an inquisition. Lieutenant Miles, you're dismissed, for now. <laughs>